Well, we are entering into a new series this weekend, uh, which will be a couple weeks long, and it's called Five Words That Will Change Your Life. Now, these are words that we use every day. They're not big words. They're actually quite small words. But I think uh, as we look into a word each weekend, you'll be surprised at the small and simplicity of these uh, words, but that God uses for great impact in our lives. Amen? And so we've got a special guest with us this weekend to talk about the word yes. So sometimes we think saying yes uh, comes in times of growth and joy. Sometimes saying yes is very easy, right? Parents, you just say yes to make the day go by just a little bit easier. Um, but saying yes to Jesus can also come in seasons of hardship and uncertainty. And our guest tonight, Nick Graham, is a testimony to saying yes to Jesus in such a season. Uh, Pastor Nick pastored our sister church in Maple Ridge for many years until some health problems brought him into a season of rest and healing. And he's since moved to the Fredericton area and continues to support the district uh, by speaking at some of the different churches around here. So apart to being a friend to many on staff, uh, Nick also has family connections to Crosspoint as his wife Elizabeth is sister to John and Emily Brown. Uh, so we're very blessed to have Nick come uh, and speak and bring a word this evening, right? And so let's give honor to where honor is due. Let's stand tonight and welcome Pastor Nick Graham to the stage. Well, good evening. It's nice to be here tonight. And just as we get going, sometimes I, I sit when I preach, so I don't have the stamina of a young man anymore. So if you uh, forgive me for sitting for a little bit of my sermon, but my name is Pastor Nick, and I'm delighted to be here uh, this evening. My family and I have been on the receiving end of some gifts from the church and the staff over the last several years when we needed it. And it's my pleasure to be here this evening serving in you folks, for you folks this evening when you need a little bit of help. And you know, church, this is how families are supposed to work, right? Paul reminded us in Galatians chapter 6 to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I got a little bit of an echo here. Can we kind of fix that? And Paul also reminded us if one part of the body suffers, every part of the body suffers with it. If one part of the body is honored, every part rejoices with that body. So I'm super excited and I'm scared to death about being here with you today as we begin this brand new series called Five Words That Can Change Your Life. As the pastor just mentioned a few minutes ago, up until 2017, I had been the lead pastor of the Maple Ridge Wesleyan Church. But due to my many, many health concerns and my need for a third liver transplant, I had to resign from my position. And the truth be told, the last two and a half years have been slightly interesting, I will say that, as we have been trying to say yes to what we believe Jesus is asking us to do. Now, I've just given you the message title and the application all rolled in to one. 
Normally, preachers don't give you the what do you want me to do with what I just heard part of the message until the end of the message is over. But if life has taught me one thing, it's to be prepared for everything. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, also reminds us of this truth when he writes in James chapter 1, don't just listen to God's word. You must, what's the word? Do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves, for if you only listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Author and pastor Andy Stanley has summed up these verses quite nicely by reminding us that application makes all the difference. It's simply not good enough for us to hear the word of God. For the word of God to do any good in us and influence those people around us, we've got to apply what God is telling us through his word. So application makes all the difference. So today I'd like to direct your attention to two distinct yet awesome passages in the Gospel of John where we get the indication that followers of Jesus are to do whatever it is that Jesus is asking us to do, to say yes to Jesus. Let's begin, first of all, with John chapter 2. For those of us that have our Bibles, this is our first recorded miracle of Jesus. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if it might sound a little bit different than what you're used to. John chapter 2, we're starting off first. There was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars are filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, the bridegroom, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. While we aren't given too many specifics, we do know that Jesus' mother had been invited to a wedding in Cana. According to author Leonard Sweet, these types of festivities lasted way longer than our weddings do of this day, primarily because guests had a great distance to travel to get to a wedding. We're also told from this scripture passage that Jesus 
and his disciples had been inviting, leading us to believe that this was some sort of relative to Mary and her son, Jesus. While the wedding festivity was going on, there was a major problem. And John lets us in on this and what he writes in verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Now, the equivalent to running out of wine in those days would be me, like you, me, inviting you over to my house for brunch. You know what I'm talking about. Eggs, bacon, mmm. Oh, yeah. Homemade toast, juices, jams. Man, I'm starving right now thinking about it. But me running out of bacon long before you ever show up to my house. Now, you'd be steamed at me, wouldn't you? I'd be steamed at me. And everybody else coming to our brunch would be steamed because there is no bacon. Well, this is the kind of same idea that happens when you run out of wine at a wedding. It was crisis mode. So Jesus' mother, sensing the tense situation, becomes involved. And she reached out to Jesus and she said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus immediately responds by saying, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet Come Now, some people, not knowing the language, think that Jesus is being terse with his mother. Let's face it, we all have been, want to be, or will be terse with our mothers. It comes with the territory. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. <laughs> but not so with Jesus. He simply told her that his time had not yet come, which is a theme that runs constantly through the book of John, referencing a time that Jesus would make his way to the cross. Without missing a beat, Mary told, not Jesus, but the servants, this is super important, do whatever he tells you. Then this is where things get really interesting. Jesus had asked for six 20 to 30 gallon uh, jars, stone jars such as these, and asked that they be filled with water. That's it. Nothing hocus pocus going on. The servants went to get some huge barrels as per Jesus' instructions. Fill those barrels with water as per Jesus' instructions. Brought the very same barrels back to Jesus as per Jesus' instructions. Then Jesus instructs these same servants to take some liquid out of those barrels and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted this new wine, he literally blew his top. We know this because of the exchange that occurs for us next. A host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, my friend, have kept the best until now. Please don't miss this, church. The miracle of turning the water into wine occurred because somebody said yes to what Jesus asked them to do. That's super important to understanding this chapter of John chapter 2. Somebody said yes to Jesus. So hang on to that truth 
and flip over to the end of John's gospel, John chapter 21. John chapter 2 records for us the first few days of Jesus' public ministry, and John chapter 21 records for us the last few days of Jesus' public ministry. And if you've never taken the time to read the gospel of John, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus is on full display in this gospel. John chapter 21, starting to read a verse one later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but caught nothing all night. Now let's just pause here for just a second and imagine the scene. The disciples had spent the better part of three years with someone whom they thought was going to change the world. They saw this God-man heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse people from various skin diseases, and heal, feed rather literally, thousands of people. But at that moment in time, it was gone. Jesus had resurrected himself from the dead and told the disciples to go to Galilee and await further instructions. But like all good men, they grew bored. So they decided that they need something to do. So what did they do? Well, they went back and did what they did before they met Jesus. Back to the watering hole, the fishing hole, because they were fishermen. We're told that the disciples were out all night fishing, but they didn't catch one thing. This reminds me of the time that I took my youngest daughter fishing. Uh, both of my girls had never been fishing before, and I'd only been fishing when I was a little bit younger than I am right now. Uh, on my daughter's very first cast, the first time she'd ever been fishing, ever, Fishes it, brings back a pretty decent-sized bass, while the rest of us caught absolutely nothing. That's still how our fishing trips go today. One of them will catch something. The rest of us won't catch a thing. So I don't feel too bad whenever we do go fishing, because even seasoned fishermen don't often catch fish, especially the ones in our story. But then I'll have you notice that something spectacular happens. The disciples come face to face with a resurrected Christ. Well, let's continue on reading our story at verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. Verse 8, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. I'll have you notice, church, that not one of the disciples had to question who it was speaking to them. They knew immediately that it was the resurrected Christ. He had spoken to them, and they did what he told them to do. Put your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and they were able to haul in over 150 huge fish. So where am I going with all this? Well, I already told you the application of this sermon. The what do you want me to do with what I just heard part of the message is say yes to whatever Jesus is asking you to do. Some of us have a pretty good idea what Jesus has been asking us to do. He's been after us for quite a while asking us to give up gossip. He's been asking us to take that volunteer position. He's been nudging us to spend more time with our family. He's been asking you to give more of your time, your talent, and your treasure to the local church. Some of you have a pretty good idea as to what Jesus is asking or what Jesus has been asking you to do. You simply needed an extra reminder to say yes to whatever Jesus is asking you to do. Well, this handsome old man sitting up here this evening is your reminder. Remember, church, that delayed obedience is disobedience. So if Jesus is asking you to do something, please do it. He will be with you each and every step of the way. Still others of us have absolutely no idea what Jesus might be asking us to do. That's okay. If you are unsure as to what Jesus is asking you to do, I want to give you a verse that is helping me figure out this season of my life. It's found in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. It's extremely small, but it packs an enormous punch. In this verse, we read that we are to be still. This is God speaking. He's saying, be still and know that I am God. You see, loved one, in order to tune into God, you've got to tune down the world. You've got to take some time to zone in and speak to the Lord and ask the Lord to guide you. Ask him what he wants you to do with that extra money that you've been saving. Ask him where he wants you to go on your vacation. Perhaps he wants you to take a short-term missions trip. Ask him what to do about that questionable relationship that you might be involved in. Whatever Jesus is asking you to do, I want to encourage you to do it. It will be the best decision that you ever make. But I think it needs to come with a caveat. It might be uncomfortable. It might hurt. And I guarantee you that you're probably going to lose sleep in the process. You might even be forced to resign from a job that you love. Be forced to move several times and literally live out of boxes. Eventually, after a year and a half of living out of boxes, you're finally in a position to settle down, but you're still living with an uncertainty as to what's next because a phone call could come at any time telling you that you need to go for your third 
transplant and blow up your life once again. But I want to assure you tonight, church, that, that Jesus will be with you each and every step of the way. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to be with us to the very end of time. And he is a brother who sticks, he is a friend rather, who sticks closer than a brother. And we have this beautiful promise from the book of Isaiah. When you go through deep waters, and you will, God said, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, and you will, God said, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. It'll feel like it, but you will not be consumed. Why? Don't miss verse 3. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So I wonder how many of us will say yes to whatever Jesus is asking us to do. I wonder how many of us will leave our comfort zones and surrender our way and say yes to Jesus. How many of us will say yes to whatever that Jesus is asking us to do? Please remember, church, that God will not ask you to do something that is contrary to his word. He'll not ask you to kill someone even though you want to. He'll not ask you to step out on your spouse. God will not even ask you to withhold your tithe. Those things are completely contrary to the word of God. He will, however, ask you to take one step of faith. And he will reward you with that one step of faith by asking you to take another step of faith. So as we seek to land this plane today, perhaps you'd like to come forward and signal your intentions. Perhaps you want to turn around and find a friend and tell them what you believe that Jesus is asking you to do. As we prepare to sing our final song, I would like to leave you with one more verse that is uh, good for us to remember. And I think it goes exceptionally well with us remembering and us figuring out what Jesus wants us to do. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And Paul writes this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we say yes to what Jesus is asking us to do, it's always worth it. It's always to and for our benefit. However you choose to respond, please remember that application makes all the difference. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord Jesus, we come to you today only by your power, only by the power of the resurrected Christ. And the truth tonight, Lord, is that you want us to say yes. You want us to say yes, to be obedient to what it is that you would have for us to do. Some of us know tonight what, what we need to do. Others of us have absolutely no idea. Well, I pray, Lord, that wherever we might be, yes, I know, or no, I don't know, that we would take a few minutes and we would tune down the world's volume and we would tune in. That we, we would be still. Be still and know that you are God. Know that you want to speak to us. You want to direct us. You want to perform a miracle in us and on us. So I pray for my friends at church today. 
that if we might be struggling with, with giving something up, giving something over, or submitting to you, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength that we would say yes to whatever it is that Jesus is asking us to do.